Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I'm proud to welcome Nafkaran Singh Baga as my guest. Nafkaran is the CEO and founder of Akpo Atmospheric Water Systems, a company that aims to decommodify the world's biggest commodity. You probably thought that water is scarce, did you? Well, we all didn't realize that there are about 1.5 times the Geneva Lake floating above our heads at any point in time. If you're able to tap into that, well, it means limitless water from unlimited air. In a minute, Nafkaran will explain how the decentralized nature of atmospheric water generation was an enabler for his solution to grow, and how he refined and improved a pretty simple technological solution. In a refreshing take at radical transparency, he'll tell us that Aquos solution is not a silver bullet and only solves a water challenge affecting, well, 3 billion people in this world. In our conversation, we also discuss competition as a positive sign that you're on the right track and the facilitator for market adoption. We underline how paying for water is still not a given and how challenging it is to explain that you're charging for the technology, not the resource. We cover the perks of being a bootstrap business, how Aquo tripled its size in the past three years, how Nafkaran expects his company to triple again by the end of this year, how he'd like to offer water as a service, but also international expansion, prepaid water distribution, fighting boredom, and much more. I had a blast in this conversation and enjoyed Nafkaran's honesty and integrity. I hope you'll enjoy it too, and you know the song. If that's the case, please share that episode with two of your friends, grab their phones, and subscribe them to the podcast. Come on, do it, and I'll meet you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Nafkaran. Welcome to the show. Hi, Antoine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very interested in the topic we have today. It's something I had on my bucket list for a while. So I'm really, really looking forward to that discussion we will be having together. But traditions first, I need to ask you to send me a little postcard from your office where you are today, ex exceptionally for our discussion today. So you're in Kolkata, right? Yes, I'm in Kolkata. So can you tell me something about Kolkata? It's Kolkata. Um, so originally my family ancestry is from Punjab, which is in the north of uh, India. My great-grandfather moved here to Bengal uh, before partition. So Kolkata is a cultural hub uh, of what I would like to say India. Because, uh, you know, it's seen a lot. Being a port city, uh, the British came here first. Uh, this used to be the British capital of the colony. And uh, Calcutta has institutions which are very, very old. And it has a lot of influences. In fact, you know, because of the colonial aspects, there's a town, uh, there's something you would relate to called Chandanagar, which is not too far from Calcutta, which used to be a French colony, right? So there are French influences there. And there are British influences. And then there's a the whole cultural influence. So Calcutta is a whole, you know, a melting pot of different kinds of things. 
that's the beauty of British and, and former French empires that wherever you go in the world, you can always find kind of an influence. I don't know if it's a beauty or, or a drawback, by the way, but I'm French, so I have to be arrogant a bit. So I'm going to say it's a beauty. <laughs> of course. I, I think, uh, you know, the past is the past, to be honest. And uh, yeah, but there's a lot you can attribute in the present to the past. So anything that you've undergone does not necessarily have to have negative influence. You mentioned the influence from the past. And uh, actually, that's something that struck me in your in your TED talk is that you are a second generation entrepreneur and you started your TED talk saying that, that you're, you're, you're drawing somehow on the former generation. How important was that to you? I'll tell you what, so I am a second generation entrepreneur, meaning uh, I currently work in a business environment, which my father started. And uh, my job is the second, the second generation is to kind of take it forward and diversify. And I've been working now for 14 years and that's pretty much what I've been doing. So we started with a, our core family business of a merchant export house. You used to do a lot of international trade. And I did my undergrad in the UK. Then I came back and my father really wanted to always have a hotel. So he opened a mid-segment hotel here in Calcutta and it started with that. And then I got bored of that in about two years. And then I started looking at other things and I started to uh, kind of look at things that I could diversify. Then I got into acquiring a steel, steel unit uh, here in Calcutta. I ran that for about four years. It was really capital intensive. I decided to find a strategic partner and gave away controlling stake. Once I gave away controlling stake, I basically became redundant because I used to run the plant. And then I was bored again. When I was bored again, I started to look at what else I could be doing. And, you know, this is around mid-2016. And I thought, you know, the future is going to be SDG, right? It's about going to be renewables. It's going to be about how can you be sustainable. And uh, I was looking at toying with, you know, kind of renewable power, looking at energy, and then water really interested me. So I started doing a lot of research on water. And this information I'm going to give you next is probably on just one more podcast. And this information is kind of a secret. Is that while I was doing a lot of research on water, you seen the movie The Big Short? No. Okay, you should see the big, the movie. Uh, there's a movie called The Big Short, right? And uh, it's starring Christian uh, Bale. And uh, it's about the mortgage crisis in the U.S., and how there was a group of people that were hedging against it. While everybody said it wouldn't crash, these people are the people who bet against it. And uh, I was really influenced by how that was going. And Christian Bale's character, who's the genius who basically saw this happening, uh, at the end of the movie says that now all his investments are in water. So I kind of took from that and said, maybe I'm going down the right path. This is where water is going to be. And, you know, four years later, for the first time in... Uh, December 2020, the California future water futures were traded. So water is fast becoming a commodity. And uh, to be very honest, uh, I can talk about sustainability and the green, but uh, I'm a businessman. So I looked at the business opportunity and started running behind it. It's very interesting because you're bridging many topics we've been addressing on that microphone before. We were discussing the water futures with uh, Nicolas Ravello, and we were discussing how all of that is creating a new environment and also the element that sustainable development is a part of environment for sure, has a part of humans for sure, but needs to be cash positive and to bring value. And that's something that we discussed, for instance, with um, Gaetan Susne. So, so interesting topics that you bridge. I, I love your take as well to say that entrepreneurship is something you need to fight boredom. I mean, <laughs> that's not every day that you hear that. So very interesting matter. But within your dive into water, actually, you could have taken any kind of water opportunity, but what you were looking at is something quite unique. Can you tell us which kind of water you are looking at with ACFO? So we look at the statistics, right? So 
the world in general can't complain uh, about a lack of water because we literally have a water body, a water source close by. So we can't really sit around and say, oh my God, we're going to run out of water. It's a, it's a finite earth with a, all, every single natural resource is renewable, right? So if you have water, the water cycle, it's a rotational cycle. The challenge there comes in is that how accessible is portable water? And that is where the real challenge is. People aren't facing crises to bathe or to maintain hygiene. The crisis that they face is with portable water, whether it is a lack of portable water or the lack of good quality portable water. So whatever you consume really needs to be at a certain level. And I thought that the easiest way to go after would be the drinking water segment. And with Aqua, the idea was that when you looked at the technology, the basic core technology, it's a decentralized system. And uh, on various talks, and my core belief is atmospheric water generator to water is what solar power is to power, right? Uh, you can always go modular. You can go decentralized. You don't need to be feeding a grid. You don't need to be feeding a central source. And I found it very interesting to kind of create something with just power. And uh, that's why I completely went after it. So you're jumping ahead in the topic. Atmospheric, actually, let's define that one. You know, I I have to say, I didn't know there was that much water in the air. So I discovered that when researching for that episode. And I found that on your on your website that there's 37.5 trillion gallons of fresh water in the air. If I translate that for European units, that makes 140 trillion liters of water, which makes 140 cubic kilometers of water. And if I take a European example, you have the Geneva Lake, which is somehow in the middle of Europa. And the Geneva Lake has 89 cubic kilometers of water in it. So it's 1.5 Geneva Lake, which is that just out there in the air somehow. But I was wondering, reading that figure, what are we talking about here? Is it the clouds you see out there? Is it just humidity in the room? Is it a combination of those? What exactly is this water which is out there in the air? So the calculation is entirely based on how much water vapor is present in the air in totality whether it's about the clouds, whether it's about the humidity in your room or the humidity in ambient air. So a collective figure, uh, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if you could pinpoint it, you know, down to the figures because we also got these figures off of the internet where we were doing our research with the kind of source that we have uh, because it's very difficult to measure. But the whole idea there is to kind of uh, cumulatively tabulate that this is the kind of water that's always present in the environment. That's the way to look at it. And it is literally an unlimited source of water. That is an interesting take you, you have as well. It's to say, if you're taking something in groundwater, I mean, it's a reservoir, you take it, it might be replenished in some way, but still you're taking, it's no longer there. Whereas the water cycle is always turning. So there's always going to be this amount of water. And it's a matter of, of scale that we see how much there is and not about, is it one trillion more or less doesn't change the figure. So this infinite source of water, you, you're tapping into that. But how did you came to the idea of saying, hey, that's what I'm going after? So, uh, you know, while I told you I was doing a lot of research on what are the way kind of water businesses I can get into. And um, uh, when I looked into kind of, you know, looking at wastewater uh, recycling or was it desalination? Or, so I saw that while they are technology, they're kind of standard mechanical tech, which require a lot of infrastructure. So let's give an example of desalination, right? Desalination is probably the answer that, uh, to the water problem of the Middle East temporarily because you look at the desert and I'm sure if you've been to Dubai or any other 
uh, Middle Eastern uh, city, you would see that they have micro-irrigation on the planters on, next to the footpaths, right, on the pathways. And that's insane because you'd say this was a desert. So I don't think the issue is with water in general, right? The whole idea is that the idea of making this particular technology accessible requires a certain amount of huge infrastructure spending, whether it's through large corporations or through government. The idea with air to water is that it's a decentralized system. It doesn't require transmission, which means you can literally put the water in people's hands. You can buy a machine, plug it into the wall, and have water generating from the minute to go. So that kind of power is infinite. That's the part I understand. The part I don't understand, you know, is personally when I'm sitting in a room, the first thing I'm thinking is not, oh, there's a lot of water here. Let me capture that. So I imagine you sitting maybe on your couch and, and with the air conditioner next to you and seeing that water dropping from the air conditioner and thinking, hey, there's something to do there. You know, a bit like Archimedes going out of this bath and saying, Eureka, I, I have something. So I'll talk very candidly, as dramatic as I would like to make it sound. Uh, you know, there have been people in the space before me. There will be people in the space after me. I just tried to make a better mousetrap. The whole idea was to kind of look at existing tech and see how, A, we can indigenize it. Can we make this in India? Can we better the technologies that exist? Can we make it more efficient? And that's what we started set out to do. So we understood that the technology is quite simplistic, to be honest, right? It's what? Dehumidification through refrigeration. You take an ambient air, uh, any person who studied physics or even basic common sense will know the concept of dew point. It's a hot day, put a cold glass of water out. You immediately see, uh, you know, condensate on the outside of the glass. And the idea is that while that works at that scale, can you replicate that process consistently to kind of generate certain copious amounts of water, you know, in larger quantities? And uh, being uh, the entrepreneur that I have, one of my core strengths has been to kind of get good teams together. So, You know, I immediately started looking for people in the refrigeration space, in the electrical space, to try and see if we can build a machine of our own. And uh, it took us a whole year to kind of, you know, build the first machine out. And we saw, this actually does work. And while doing our studies and doing our designs, we ended up with the most power-efficient AWG in the world. So our machines consume the least amount of power per liter, which makes us kind of unique. But uh, like I said, I was in an interview before, about two, three years ago, on one of the Indian news channels. And the question that I was asked is, uh, are you proprietary? Are you going to protect this? And my idea was the more players we can invite to come into the space, the more we can get the movement going. So I would, you know, kind of look at getting more people into the space and better the tech so it can become conventional tech. Water is a space which is unlimited even from a market perspective. So there cannot ever be too many players. And that's how this came to me. Like I said, I was looking at various technologies. And this happened to be one of them, which really caught my attention. And the whole idea of having single units, not requiring infrastructure is what really caught my attention. Very interesting what you say about competition, because usually it's the, the counterintuitive thing of entrepreneurship is that if you're alone on the market, it's bad news because whether you have a bad idea and that's the reason why you're alone or the market is not ready yet to adopt it. And which means you don't have competitors or colleagues to help you push into that direction. And actually, your technology is in this kind of spot because you are creating water from a new source. So it's not like another treatment technology that would be then connected to a network. It's really something, something different. Let's discuss which problem you solve. What is the typical application of your new source of drinking water? In which place? To which community? How do I have to imagine that part? The lowest hanging fruit currently for our tech is, like I said, portable water, right? Because drinking water is something that you can still attribute a cost to. 
and people already have a cost attached to it, uh, whether it's from a personal perspective or an enterprise perspective. One of the biggest case studies uh, we have is an installation here in a refinery in Calcutta, close to Calcutta called Haldia, which is a government refinery called the Indian Oil Corporation. And, you know, they have a 300-acre refinery and uh, they had a lot of drinking water issues. So they had two, three options ahead of them, right? They could either go down the groundwater route and individual drinking water points where they have to constantly keep filtering the water. Again, problem is industrial area, a lot of arsenic in the groundwater there. So those technologies really cost a lot of money. Secondly, you could continuously keep buying water, which again is a cost. They decided to go with that technology because they have six water points individually, which are completely transmission-free. They just installed it, plugged power, and now roughly 900 people drink water from our machines every day in the refinery. Similarly, we have you know case studies in uh, the UAE, in Qatar. In India, the biggest market we have is in South India and Chennai, because that's where people are used to paying for water in the metro cities. So currently, the low-hanging fruit for us is drinking water. You know, I can't really go in and say, you know what, people irrigate their lands with my water. No, we're very expensive for that. But from a drinking water perspective, we're getting there. We're getting at a place where our cost is acceptable. So basically, when people are off-grid or when acquiring water would be very expensive or simply when there, there is no water, so you need to find a new source. I'll explain to you, Antoine, from a more challenge, which probably you have not seen because you live in the Western world and, you know, I did my undergraduate in the UK and you can drink tap water, right? And so the idea is that you don't have these issues. In India, you have various kinds of issues, right? So we start with the issue of non-availability water. India is becoming a huge market for water purifiers. So even if I have a water purifier and the building complex I live in needs to cart in two tankers of water a day, which means there are times when my water purifier is not working. So at least I'll have drinking water with a solution such as that. So I don't have to depend on external water source. The second part is, let's say you have a water source, but the water source is contaminated or impure or very, uh, you know, has high TDS or it can't be purified as well as normal water would be. So then uh, the consumable cost of filtering that water goes up quite high. The technology we're making is mostly currently suited for urban areas because we're heavily power dependent. So I can't really keep talking about uh, off-grid because we really can't be off-grid unless you have you you have a solar plant or a wind plant, you know, wind turbines going on where you get generated on power. We're more a grid solution to provide you portable water. So whether it's an apartment complex in Chennai or in Hyderabad or in Bangalore or, you know, Dubai or Qatar, that's where we're going at. Some projects are working on the Philippines, for example. There we're talking about uh, getting machines to schools in remote areas. So that's probably where it'll come into kind of not having to cut that kind of water. But uh, we are grid dependent, so we can't really completely talk about being in off-grid areas. And what are the ideal ambient conditions for your technology? As any renewable tech, you know, we come with our limitations because we are tapping into a source which we can't control. You know, just like solar power, you cannot install solar panels in uh, in Norway or in Scandinavian countries, right? Because you really don't get a lot of sunlight. So similarly, we need hot climate with high humidity. So tropical environments are the most suited for air to water technologies mostly. You mentioned competition before. What's interesting is that your competition has, has many shapes because actually you're competing with um, water that you put in a truck and, and you bring somewhere. You're competing with, with bottled water and you're competing with other technologies which look at atmospheric air, but not necessarily the same than yours, is it a green field and you can go with whatever you like? 
Or do you think at some point there's going to be one winner and uh, hopefully it's you? Because if it's not you, I mean, do you know the competitors from Blu-ray, for instance, don't exist anymore? When DVD was replaced, it was Blu-ray and all the 21s just died out. No, I don't think that's the future. The future is a combination of different techs uh, which can come together. So whether it's a combination of, let's say, wastewater regeneration, uh, it's a combination of rainwater harvesting, it's a combination of air to water. The idea is to kind of pool in as many renewable sources as possible and come together to a collective solution, right? I personally believe that in the developing world, not so much in the developed world, the idea is to kind of make the, the urban area sustainable first because that's where the highest level of consumption is. What happens in a place, let's say in India, is because of the large tax-paying uh, population lives in cities, the pressure on cities to kind of ramp up urban development is at its highest. And for that reason, the rural areas get neglected because it, it's a trickle-down effect. So the idea for me, the world I see, is as more and more urban areas become sustainable, then the real focus of governments will be to kind of provide infrastructure to the rural area. So the solution I bring in or ACPO brings in is to bridge those gaps, is not to replace them. Like I said, the whole revolution in the power industry, we went from thermal uh, to solar, wind, and so on and so forth. Just because solar power is there doesn't mean that the thermal plants are shut down. Uh, it just means that the new plants that are coming up are being invested in, in that space. Similarly, we're here to augment supply. We can never be complete supply. It's just not possible. It's a very interesting analogy you make with the energy sector. So uh, that makes it much clearer. Thanks for that one. I have to bring one of your competitors on the table because it was mentioned on that podcast a couple of times. They used to be called Zero Mass Water. Now they're called Source Global. From an external point of view, the main difference between what they do and what you do is that they target more the off-grid with the solar element. And you, as you explained, you're more on-grid. But I was really surprised last year when I looked into the topic to see how much almost hate they were getting. And when I was watching your own TED Talk, I saw a couple of comments on YouTube and I was just wondering, I mean, people saying, you, hey, come on, you're explaining the basis of, of the water cycle. And I was like, yeah, sure, he, he does that because it's about this. And if people knew about that, then we wouldn't have to do everything we have to do today in the water industry because they would be knowing what the challenges are and what the solutions are. And the other was, come on, it's a lie. It's not working. That, that thing is just not working. And it just shows you how difficult it is to, to come with, with something new in that area, with something people haven't been touching and experiencing for 30 years. And I was wondering, how do you react to this kind of skeptics or almost haters? I made it my single mission to educate people about air to water, right? So the first thing I did when I started this venture, uh, to be honest, was I, while I was investing in tech, I didn't invest heavily in marketing, but there's one thing I invested in, and that was a PR firm, because I needed more and more people to talk about this, more and more people to know that such a tech exists. The conversions will happen. The market will build out on its own. But, you know, when I first started out, I, out of 100 people I talked to, at least 99 would be, what? Are you serious? Uh, can you do that? Can you make water from air? And till that time, I wasn't the first player in the market. You have to understand this. There have been people before me, which means the lack of education around this tech and concept was prevalent. Uh, my single focus has been to kind of break that myth, uh, number one. Number two, as far as we get hate and we talk about competition and what other people are doing, yes, I think people will get hate for the reasons of how they address the problem of what's their business model behind it, 
the you know source is a phenomenal tech i think uh, it's very smart tech however it comes with its challenges right so the problem is that they're trying to solve a rural problem at an urban cost that's where i see the disconnect right so that's why i've been very forthcoming in telling you that look i'm here to talk in urban areas i'm going to be on grid i can really am not uh, the answer to the water problem but we we're, we're getting there so we have to of course break the myth uh, yes the tech is expensive but the idea is to get it to accessible as accessible as possible we generate water at say give or take 2 rupees a liter which is say about 3 us cents maybe 2 and a half 3 us uh, cents right which is not expensive it is far lower than what people would do even at a capital expenditure cost we're trying to keep it as low as possible so more and more people get access to this tech in fact the future i see is where people don't have to invest in our equipment they can just use it for water as we generate it and then kind of pay us for the water that they generate what is the typical cost for 1 liter of bottled water in india say about 30 cents my western view would be to say 1 dollar or 1 euro but see even at 30 cents it means you are producing 10 times cheaper than bottled water it's important to put things in perspective i was also looking at articles who were calculating how much it would cost to take a truck of water and to truck it somewhere and the cost is roughly 12 cents per liter so again four times more expensive than your technology no in india the cost of tankers is very cheap a 3000 liter tanker should cost you something like uh, $40 between 40 to 60, $60 so uh, water is literally cents on the dollar in indian terms so from that perspective they're very expensive that's why we're not going after traditional water sources uh, what we're doing is going after the bottled water or you know the 5 gallon jars the 20 liter jars that is something that people are used to spending you know between 4 to 5 rupees a liter and that's where we start making commercial sense for them because we're half of that so the whole concept in india in a market such as in india is challenging because the whole mindset around water is that it needs to be free people really don't think that they need to pay for water and that's where it it kind of becomes challenging number one number two when we go and pitch into a customer uh, we say you know what we have a system that generates water from air and they start immediately drawing parallels uh, between us and water purifiers and we have to tell them look we're not a purification system we're a generation system we're literally making water from air it's not like you have to feed in a water source so like i said the biggest challenge the uh, air to water industry faces whether it's a source whether it's us whether it's you know the israeli water gen whoever it is it's about mass education it's about telling people that look this can happen and drawing parallels there and making them understand so customer education is probably the biggest challenge our industry faces i have to say i love your take because you're you're really saying here's why it's good here's why it's not good so really like if you if you're there it's not suited for you if you're there it's suited for you i mean i hate it when you know when there's a solution which is too good to be true your solution seems to me very realistic and so really thank you for this honesty and trans- transparency i really appreciate that you mentioned something about people wanting water to be free i have to share you an experience uh, it's almost 10 years ago now i was on a un water program in uh, in new delhi so uh, it was water for all and they were bringing water into the slums of delhi and uh, i was really impressed at something that really stayed with me about uh, what i heard from those people telling that they wanted to pay for that water of course a fraction of the cost because they didn't have more money to to give but they wanted to pay for it just to say look before here we had 
children dying of the problems linked to bad quality of water. Now you bring quality water that has a value. So it has to have this cost for value. Is it really such problematic that the majority of people still think water shall be free? Water is a sensitive topic. Uh, the water is a sensitive topic for this, for the simple reason that whereas somebody wants to pay for it is simply flowing everywhere. So, you know, people don't really understand the concept of that in particular. The problem with the water industry in general in the developing world is a bit that people aren't used to water bills, right? Uh, till about 20 years ago, anybody in India in any city can just might as well dig a bore well and kind of get your own water groundwater source. It's that concept. The, the difference, like I said, I, and I keep drawing parallels to the energy industry because that's what makes more sense to me, is that, you know, till the time solar came in or wind came in, people were used to paying a, a per unit price for power. So it was easy to make that transition. The challenge today is how do you take something that is free and start saying you have to pay for this now? That seems like a huge pinch to people. And, you know, we've had calls. It's very funny. Uh, we keep getting these sales calls. My sales head took a call from someone in, in Western India. And uh, uh, she said, so I would like a house, a home machine. So we said we have a home machine that is the smallest machine we do is 50 liters per day. And it's priced about 99,000 rupees, which is roughly about, say, 1,400, 1,500 US dollars, which is high. But again, people in India have iPhones that cost more than that. So, you know, we don't even get into that challenge. The statement that she made broke me down, but at the same time made me look at, this is going to be a much tougher job than I think, which was, she said, how can you charge so much money for a machine that makes water? This is morally not correct, right? And I got taken aback by the statement because we're being pitched as someone who's trying to make uh, money off of water. Uh, we're, we're trying to make money off the technology we developed, right? We're not here to sell you water. We're trying to change the way things are done. So the whole question of, morality, the question of ethics, I don't think are ever attached to any other commodity in the world, which are, uh, you know, associated to water. The only other problem, uh, commodity that probably be addressed to or attached to the same thing is air, right? So these are the two things that are sacrosanct. They should be for all. And that's the challenge. Yeah, it's a surprising comment because, you know, I doubt people really question the morality of bottled water companies. In some cases, they do when it's extreme, but most of the time, you know, it's just something, it's another good you have in the supermarket and who cares if it's moral to charge for, because it's clear you, you pay for what? You pay for the transportation of water, you pay for the bottle itself, and you consider maybe the water is free, but then it's really expensive transportation. So yeah, you're basically marketing the technology, not the water itself. The, the water is the result. Talking of business, you mentioned you're a businessman. I saw that you're bootstrapped. And I was thinking, you know, you have a way to, to present your, your business, which is very clear. It's not like we can solve every problem. You have a targeted problem, which is usually what investors are looking at. They don't look at solutions which are like, uh, you know, just selling hot air, but something which is targeted. You are on a market where there's um, billions of people. Let's, let's make a generality. Billions of people lacking access to drinking water. So almost infinite market almost infinite water resource because you're tapping into a reservoir which is self-filling itself and you have kind of a clear strategy. How can you be bootstrapped? I mean, do, do you receive calls from investors twice a week and you decline or? Yes and no. So I do receive quite a bit of investor interest. Uh, unfortunately, I've actually walked away from three rounds till now because uh, of the clear directive of not looking at how this market has to be played out. 
Now, the the problem with, like you said, with me is that I'm quite a candid person and I, I call it what it is. And because I keep telling investors that this is a patience game, right? It's about equipment selling. It's about a fly-by approach to the business model. Because as a company, we have to evolve. As a product, we have to constantly keep evolving and keep trying different hands and different business models. Being bootstrapped uh, gives me that freedom. I'm not saying no to investment. I'm, all I'm saying is, I think I'll be better suited for external investment when I myself have clarity on what the market really is. Uh, currently, to be very honest, it's like a toy I'm playing around with every day. Every day I discover something new about it. Every day I want to add a new part or a new feature to the product or to the service. And uh, that's precisely the reason why we've tried to keep it as bootstrapped as possible till now and uh, see how we, how it goes. To use the, the, the buzzword, uh, I saw that you're entering the B2C market with your, your pod. So basically, you're also going into the homes of people and saying it's not so only something for communities or for industries. It can also be inside your home. What is your, 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 your target there? Antoine, the idea is that we have to kind of first get as many adopters as possible, right? So while with the last year we've been trying to sell machines, uh, we're trying to walk away from that over the next two, three years. Because there is a hindrance. There's a higher cost of capital for people and people really are not prepared to spend that kind of money yet. So while we are concentrating on the pod, the idea is to go more mass outreach, kind of like take over communities, apartment complexes and provide them a, a decentralized drinking water system. So that's something which we're looking at. We have received a lot of uh, interest for, for our pod because we've added a new twist to the product. The you know, USP is being... Uh, we're the only air water machine there for the homes that is kind of a split system where the water generator is out of the house and you have a dispenser inside the kitchen. Um, all our machines are IoT enabled. You get real-time data on what's the humidity, what is the temperature, what was, how much of the water made yesterday and things like that. So we're giving a lot of clarity to the customer. And that is something that I actively spent time on because the first challenges I faced was how do I know this works? It made X amount of water yesterday. Uh, how do I know that it didn't make water because the temperature was high or low? So I really started to build out the tech side of it. So over the last two years, I can take events, right? That all our machines are digital. We don't have any analog machines. They're entirely software driven. That's how we're evolving as a company. So uh, B2C interest is there, but it's not like people are going to be queuing outside the store anytime soon to kind of book a slot. So we'll have to see how it goes. Coming back to your growth, even if you were bootstrapped and I'm impressed with that fact I understand what you're saying it gives you more agility more freedom to explore the market I don't know if that figure is still accurate but you're 25 inside uh, ACFO is that still uh, the, the case yeah about 25 28 people what is your your vision of the future of your your company where are you in, in five years I've seen that you've tripled over the past three years so in the next five years you intend to do times five or no I think this is going to be the pivoting year for us so uh I hope that we can at least triple our growth within this financial year. And uh, with the change in the business model and now kind of going into overgear mode, because this year I'm going to be very aggressive with reaching out to consumers. The idea in the long term is uh, whether it comes in equipment sale or whether it comes in water as a service. Uh, Aqua in the next five years should be at least fulfilling uh, needs of up to at least 10 million liters of water on a daily basis. That is the focus. So I want that at least across the world, wherever we are, we're generating at least 10 million liters of water on a daily basis. And that's what we're going for. You, you just mentioned water as a service. When you, you gave your figure early on of the two rupee per, per liter, 
how do you calculate that? It's the, the investment cost over an amortizing time, I guess, of 15 years or something like that. And then you, you get the, the, this figure. No. So our figure is entirely based on the running cost, the power we consume. So in India, on average, the residential power cost is roughly something like 8 rupees a, a, a unit of power, a kilowatt hour. And our machines in its most ideal conditions uh, generate 4 liters of water for every unit of power. So that's how we arrive at 2 rupees per unit. So regarding the, the service part, is it something you're touching today or are you pure supplier of hardware? So we're pure supplier of hardware till last year. We're a couple of, uh, doing a couple of pilots now, which will completely shift gears to a service-based model. And um, if it wasn't for the lockdowns, I'd have a couple of projects up and running by now. But uh, hopefully this coming next quarter, uh, maybe July onwards, we should actively add a couple of more consumers. So at least a couple of hundred consumers in, in, in India to kind of look at what is the service. I guess there's a, a huge market in the, in the industry side of the business because you have there these water fountains, which are a service, basically. I, I, don't, I don't think that industries actively pay for the fountains. They pay for the fact that there's always water available. So that could be your water as a service model, but just out of the blue with them. What is the, f the first thing I would be seeing for, for you? Is it where you intend to go on, on the long run? Yeah, the idea is to kind of uh, move water as a service to consumers. So like I said, we're, we're a drinking water source, right? And wherever there are people, there's always going to be a need for drinking water. It will come with various modes. It could come for residential complexes. Uh, it could come for large factories where people have employees with the need to cater for water. It could be public places where people uh, can maybe work in you know, water vending machines. Uh, the idea is to give people access to water wherever possible. So uh, like I kind of, the, at the cost of repeating myself, we are a drinking water source, right? Wherever there is a need, our source can fulfill that need. Uh, it's just a question of adaptability and how we as a company are willing to kind of be agile and versatile to meet that need. And that's what we're going for. You mentioned your target to triple your, your revenue in the next year. Do you achieve that solely in India or do you have also plans for international expansion? You'll be surprised. No, I actually have machines running in seven countries today. I'm not that surprised, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> as far as uh, South America, I have a machine in Chile. Uh, I have a couple of machines in the Middle East, of course, because that seems to be the lowest hanging fruit. Uh, I have a machine in Africa. Uh, I have a machine in Philippines and India as well. So the idea is to kind of be a global player in, in the space. Because wherever we get permitted to be a water source, we like to go in. And, uh, you know, we're trying to build up our technology in a manner now where we're trying to build it up to be modular, to be scalable. Last year, year and a half, we've kind of changed our entire focus on what we're going to be. When I first started out, you know, it, it was the idea that I'll build a product, it'll make X amount of liters every day, and I'll be able to sell it as a price. Like, this is a machine that makes 50 liters, this is one that makes 100, and so on and so forth. And you'll see my website states models like that too. But with the new focus of how we're going, we're changing uh, our entire focus and being a product-based company to service-based company, like I said. So we're trying to build out back-end products that allow us to be scalable to provide that service. So whether you require, say, 500 liters or 50,000 liters, we should have equipment that can scale up fast, be modular in nature, and provide that supply. And that's what we're working on right now. Sounds like a, a fascinating path and a fascinating plan. Well, I think you delivered on the promise which I had on, on the beginning, which was that I really wanted to, to dive a bit deeper in that uh, 
new way to produce drinking water. Nafkan, if it's fine for you, I propose you to switch to uh, the rapid fire questions. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last uh, section, I'll try to keep the questions short. If you can keep the answer short, it's cool as well. But you, you, you're going to notice that I'm always the one that sidetracks people. So don't worry, that's going to happen. My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? So the most exciting project I've been working on has been ACWO, at least for all of my life now. And every day, it is a new challenge because every day I think of something new to add to it. So I think it's currently fulfilling to my entire need to not be bored because there is not a single boring day while working on ACWO. If there's something new every day, what was your latest crazy idea? This crazy, crazy idea was to go for a complete uh, distributed, prepaid uh, water distribution system for buildings where people can put in money uh, on an online platform and their machines will generate X amount of water up to the amount of money that they have in their balance. And that's what we're working on right now. Sounds cool. Crazy, but cool. It's crazy. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your current job? The lack of boredom. <laughs> There's a pattern, I noticed. <laughs> that, that is the pattern. That is the core pattern. <laughs> what is the trend to watch out in, in the water industry now in general? I think the trend to watch out in general is how uh, new versions of old equipment are going to come out and how they're going to change focus on being customer friendly, looking at how people consume water. And another trend that's also coming out while we're looking at alternate water sources, the, the next big thing to watch out of, which I personally believe, is to look at water consumption. And that's why you see a lot of companies are now getting funded in the water metering space. Because that is the next part. It's not just supply side, it's also demand side. And when these two come together, that's what's going to be interesting. I'm surprised that you don't mention decentralized as a trend because you, you, you mentioned it in the discussion, how you are addressing that, that, that wave. But it's true. Like that I said, uh, Antoine, I, I'll be very honest, right? I'm, here, I'm providing a solution. But is my solution the answer to all of the water problems? No, it isn't. And it can never be. So while I am a big, uh, you know, advocate of decentralized water systems, it's never going to be just the decentralized water systems. It's going to be a combination of all the spheres coming together to kind of reduce the water pressure the earth is currently facing. What is the thing you care about the most when you're working on a new project? And what is the one you care the least? The most I care about is the team. I think uh, as an individual, we can't achieve anything. It's when we can bring uh, good people together and give them similar ownership where they believe what they're working on is as much there as it is as it is yours. I think that is something that I like the most, which I really depend on. Since I'm a bit impatient, I think it's when people can't see, uh, you know, the same thing that I'm seeing. And if I'm trying to convince someone on that, it kind of becomes a disconnect. And that's something that kind of irritates me a bit. That's often the problem. When you think a bit too fast, people have to... to to catch you as well. I said uh, I was going to be uh, the one sidetracking. I'm just coming one step back to your previous answer. You mentioned the boom in, in metering, which makes me think of uh, what you were mentioning in your TED talk, that we are eating 3,000 something liters um, of, of water every day. And we just don't see it. Is it one battle, you think, to bring that in plain sight, that everybody sees that at the end of the day, how stupid as it sounds, everything is water. But like I said, that's a problem, right? People are never going to look at that aspect of it. The the issue is that while we, well, everything we do, you know, and everything we're surrounded by, whether it is the steel on that microphone that you have, 
even that that processing required amount of water, uh, whether it was the food that you eat. So water is actually something that consumes us, uh, whether it's for a process, whether it's for raw material, whatever it is. The problem is that we're not getting water conscious in that sense. And I don't think we ever will, to be honest. Uh, I don't think that the, the meat industry is going to see a revolution because it consumes X amount of water. However, having said that, I will see, we will see more and more processes uh, becoming more water friendly. A primary example uh, in that space is hydroponics, right? Uh, hydroponics is something that is water friendly agriculture. So we are going to see these shifts that are going to change how people see things. Last two questions for you, Navkaran. Do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater trends? Uh, no, I don't particularly follow any kind of particular source. Uh, I keep looking at different topics, different areas. Uh, so to be very honest, I don't have that one go-to. The only go-to I have is that typing screen on Google where I have a question I just type in. It doesn't matter where it came from. That's, that's the kind of information I seek. Well, Google is a cool source for everyone. So uh, I think that counts. <laughs> Do you have someone to recommend that I should definitely invite on that microphone? I think, uh, like I said, when I was talking about the water metering space, uh, there's a company based out of uh, Chennai in India called Vigot. I'll probably introduce you to them. Abhilash uh, is someone I know. And they're doing revenue work uh, in, in the water metering space. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on, on the microphone. Where can I redirect people if they want to follow up with what you're doing with your company, with yourself? What's the best place? LinkedIn is somewhere where I try to put in regular posts, but my posts off late have become less water related and more personal related. Uh, but you can obviously go to the Aquo LinkedIn page or visit us on aquosphere.com, which is our website. Like always, the, the links to everything you just mentioned are in the, in the footnotes of that episode, if you're listening to that. Navkaran, it's been a pleasure. I hope I'll have uh, the, the chance to chat with you in the future when you reach your times three target of, of next year and then sky's the limit. No, thank you, Antoine. It's been a pleasure for me to be here. Seriously, I really like talking about this and uh, I'm more of a mic hog, right? So if I get a chance to talk, I don't shut up. And I always like that chance. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.